Please turn in your Bibles to James chapter 1. It's been a number of months since we have been in this epistle, and um, we are nearing the end of the first chapter. Um, But this, I love the book of James. Um, James is such a practical book, and, and we've talked about this in the past, but just just to remind you of, of some of the things we've covered so far and, and um, kind of the things that James deals with. One thing that James helps us to see is the difference that our new life in Christ makes for us. Um, it should change the way that we deal with our trials. We've talked about that previously. It, it should change the way and the things that we pursue. Our life in Christ should change the way that we face temptation. It should change the way that we act and react. It should, it should curtail our anger and our harsh words. Really, James gives us a course in Christian ethics. He shows us that faith in Christ is living and active. It makes a difference in our day-to-day life. True faith results in good works. These works are, of course, not the merit of our salvation. James doesn't say that, but they are the result of the salvation that is ours by grace alone in Jesus Christ. And as the title of this this sermon series tells us, that James promotes a faith that works. That's what we've called this series, a faith that works. I thought about the book of James, and I thought about how... um, in, as, as people write blog posts, I think one reason blog posts are so popular is a lot of times they'll give you a title to their blog post that, that catches your eye and think, makes you think, I've got to read this. You know, seven ways to improve your prayer life or something. You think, oh, I need that. You know, and seven ways I can read that quickly. James deals with such a wide variety of subjects. He, he catches our attention and, and he draws us in. And I trust that that will be true for us this morning. And in our text this morning, James, really he gives us a warning about the way in which we can be deceived and derailed in our pursuit of godly living. He tells us how we should respond to God's word. And one concept that we've talked about, especially in relation to trials, is the concept of steadfastness. Well, what we are going to look at this morning can derail that steadfastness that we want to pursue in Christ if we don't obey God's word. So let us pray and seek the help of the Holy Spirit, for as the Spirit has inspired God's holy and inerrant word, so the Spirit will work this morning to bring it to us and illuminate it to us. So let's seek the Lord's face to that end. Heavenly Father, we come before you knowing that your word is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And Lord, we pray that it would pierce even to our own souls here this morning, Lord, we we love you, the author of your word, and we love your word. And Lord, we ask that it would be effective this morning. Holy Spirit, would you work within the hearts of your people? If there are those here that do not know you, may your word bring life, Lord, we pray, and bring faith and repentance to those who are outside of Christ. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts, Lord, be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. James 1, and we'll begin, we'll pick up in verse 18. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. 
Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. And be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what, what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Amen. And we praise God that he has spoken to us this morning through his holy and inerrant word. As we've considered this text this morning, I, I backed up in, in the reading back to verse 18 to help us see a connection here and a theme of God's word that runs through these verses. Note that it is the word that is mentioned in verse 18, and again then in verse 21, that we are to receive God's word with meekness, that it has been implanted in us, but yet we continue to receive it. Previously, we we talked about this, and this word that is implanted in us at our conversion, it is there to work in us, and we are to continue to receive it. And we talked about it in relation to anger and and other sins. And we're not called to deal with those sins on our own, but through the reception of God's word. God is working in his children and we are called to work out what God is working in us, as we're told in Philippians 2. This word will save you. This word that was used to bring God's people into right relationship with him is the word that will accomplish that salvation. We'll see it through to the end. And we are to receive it with meekness, with the idea of humility and having a teachable spirit when we come to God's word. And so the text here this morning, we're going to be dealing with verses 22 to 25. The text here tells us that there's two ways that we can approach God's word. One, however, is associated with deception and danger, and the other with blessing. And so we'll see in these two ways our outline, and that is the deception of hearing but not doing, and then the blessing of hearing and doing. The first thing that we must recognize is that it is entirely possible to hear God's word and not really hear it in such a way that results in obedience. Verse 22 implies that there are two levels of listening to God's word. Hearing only with no resulting obedience. And then there's hearing that leads to obedience. Doing what God's word requires. I would imagine there's some ladies in this room who are married who might know a little about multiple levels of listening. So if, if you ask your husband, did you hear what I said? And they might say, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, there is more than one level of listening. And you don't have to be married to experience this. Young people, have you ever had your mother say to you, did you hear me when I told you to take out the trash? And maybe when your mother says that, you think, oh, yes, I, as a matter of fact, I did hear you, Mom. Let me go do that. I hope that's your reply. If, if you didn't obey the first time. But there's more than one level of obedience. 
Now, James doesn't spend a lot of time explaining this, but he gives us a simile that I think we can understand. And he talks about this man that looks at himself in a mirror and then goes away and forgets what he has seen. Again, not to pick on the young people, but as the father of five boys, I have on more than one occasion had my boys particularly come down the stairs, and I wonder if they use the mirror that's available to them in their, in their bedroom or their bathroom that they should have used to make sure that their hair is in place or that their clothes are like they should be. We, we have to do something with the image that we see in the mirror. We need mirrors to consider ourselves, but a mirror is no good if we ignore what we've seen in it. It doesn't help us. The mirror doesn't correct the toothpaste on our shirt or the tie that needs straightened. It's no good if we walk away and forget it. And in this comparison, we see this man does three things that should help us see the danger and the deception and the, and the likeness and as we think about this, this symbol in light of considering God's word. The scripture says that this man first looks. Now this obviously is a good thing. That's what you've got to do. But that alone is not enough. Think about the scribes and the Pharisees. These men in the New Testament that were so antagonistic to the message of Christ were very good at looking at the Scriptures. The Jews knew that they should read and become familiar with the Law and the Prophets, the Scriptures that they had at that day. But Jesus told the Jews in John 5, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Their lack of understanding of Jesus was not because they lacked access to God's word. They failed to act accordingly upon God's word. They failed to believe in Jesus. They failed to obey the one who was the Son of God. This person is is the one that looks and doesn't buy. It's like a person who might go into Sam's or Costco on a Saturday when all the samples are out. And they just kind of make their way through the store, sampling everything. Now, maybe they feel a little guilty and they, they inquire about, oh, well, how much does this cost? And they act like they're thinking about it. But then they go on their way knowing that they're not going to take it home. It says that this man departs. He, he leaves the place where he should be considering his image. He turns his mind and his attention to other things. The mirror is the place where flaws are revealed. It's where he can see himself for who he is. His, his faults are exposed. The things that are out of place are evident. The time for making corrections is when you're in front of the mirror. And instead of making the necessary corrections to himself, while he's there in that place, he turns and goes away. And then closely related to the the turning and going away is the concept of forgetting. The text says that at once he forgets what he was like. This man has spent time considering himself. He has had the privilege of seeing his own image as it is, accurately reflected in the mirror. He's seen his blemishes, his faults, his flaws, yet he chooses to go away without addressing them. And herein lies the deception. This man has had every opportunity to see his need as it is, and yet he chooses to forget those things that he should see and that he should correct. 
And he forgets. And in his forgetting, he is deceived into thinking that he is something he is not. He turns and he forgets like, and thinks that everything is perfectly fine. He is deceived into thinking he is in great shape when really there's a problem that needs addressed. This, of course, is symbolic of the man or woman who sits under God's word and should reflect upon their own life in light of God's word. And the consequences, of course, are drastically more serious than having a stain on your shirt or a smear in your makeup. These consequences are eternal. And I think James is helping us see through this, through this symbol the, the progress of decline and the deception that is there. Let me ask you, what is your posture towards the Word of God? Did you know that there is a way that you can show that you are listening by your posture? Experts tell us that to attentively listen involves your body, your body language, and how you act. If you lean forward, if you make eye contact, if you, if you are reflecting upon what the speaker is saying, it's evident that you are listening. Is that what you do when you consider God's word? Do you lean into it? Do you seek to let it speak to you? Do you engage your mind and all your faculties in receiving and obeying his word? If we are listening to someone that we love, we should be even more attentive to them. If we are listening to someone with authority, we want to know what their authority could teach us. And we should be the same way with God's word. We should love the author and consider the authority of God's word. God's word is a mirror. It reveals God to us and it shows us ourselves in light of the holy God of scriptures. And if we only look at God's word in a superficial sense, if we, like the man in the mirror, look and then depart and forget who we are and who God is, then we're deceived because we're not doing anything about the imperfections and flaws that we see in ourselves. The sin that we see in ourselves that needs addressed. If we do that, we're like the parable of the soils in Mark 4 where the seed is scattered upon the hard ground and the birds come and pick it up and it's never able to take root If you only hear the word and do not obey it, Satan snatches it out of your heart. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. But James doesn't just give us a warning here. There is a clear warning of the deception of it, but there's a blessing to be seen as well. We want to see the blessing of hearing and doing. It's interesting to note the parallelism in the two, in the way that James explains this. The man in verse 25, if you'll consider that, he also looks. He looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty. He perseveres. Instead of forgetting, he remembers. And then he acts upon what he hears. In short, he obeys. He is a blessed man. So what are the marks of the one who listens so that he might obey? First of all, as we said, he looks. But the interesting thing is, is that 
that the word James chooses in the original is not the same word as the word look in the previous verse. It's a different kind of looking. This was the same kind of looking that the disciples did when they ran to the tomb and they stooped down to see in the tomb. They wanted to examine what had happened. Had Jesus truly, really risen from the dead? They beheld his grave clothes there. They stooped down and they examined and they looked. This word is also used in, I believe it's 1 Peter, where it talks about the angels wanting to peer into and consider the gospel. They are interested in the blessedness of the gospel that we enjoy. And it says angels long to look into these things. It means to examine closely. It means to consider and maybe even bend down to look and get a closer look at what you're considering. And it's amazing what you can learn by looking. When we started homeschooling years ago, my wife would have our kids keep a nature journal. And basically the the concept of it was just to, to try to record or draw what you had observed. And it was to help them learn skills of observation. And as I tried to help our children in that endeavor, I realized how poor I was at it. And the thing of it is that you can learn so much more by slowing down and looking intently at something. I can't tell you the the, the number of times that I've read James chapter 1. I think uh, that I had even memorized these verses in our text, and yet in all of those times had failed to see the parallelism that I'm trying to help us see this morning. There is, there is much to learn simply by looking. We have to look intently at God's word. And too often we quit looking before we have observed all that we need to. Perhaps that's why James tells us next that we need to persevere. To persevere means to continue in a course of action, even in the face of difficulty. To persevere means doing the right thing and continuing in it even when it's hard. Often God's word is compared to precious treasure, even to gold. Psalm 19 does that. If you're mining for gold or for precious metals, it takes work, it takes diligence, it takes perseverance. Proverbs tells us to seek for wisdom as one who seeks for hidden treasures. I remember a family vacation that we took years ago to a place in Arkansas called the Crater of Diamonds State Park. I don't know if you've ever been there, but the the way they advertise it, it's an amazing place. It's a place where you can actually dig for diamonds. And it's it's about a 40-acre field that people go there and they dig, and they've they've found some some substantial uh, diamonds in this place. And so I thought that would be a great place to take my children um, and uh, dad me being the dad, was all excited about it. However, it was in August. It was very hot, and we were very sad to learn that the water park that is right next to the place where you dig for diamonds had closed the week before. So we were there with very little resources, and we quickly got discouraged. We failed to persevere. We were hot and miserable, and we were unsuccessful, and we felt that the chances of finding something of value was nearly an impossibility. But that's not the way it is with God's word. There is rich treasure to be taken. And just like digging in that park, it doesn't cost you anything but time. And you get the benefit of all the treasure that you find. 
But unlike our endeavors in that park, there is a promised blessing if we persevere in our study and our pursuit of God's word. If we pursue it, that we might obey his word. Let me just pause here and say a few minutes, a few things about God's word. I would, I would venture to say that in a congregation our size, that there are more than a few of you that would say you struggle to, to consistently read God's word. If that applies to you this morning, I want to encourage you. I want to say that just think of a way that you can bring in and consume a little bit more of God's word. There's so many ways in which we can do it. We can, we can have our phones read it to us while we're on our way to work. We can listen to sermons on our way home from work. We can, we can post it on our bathroom mirror. Just think of all the ways that you can get God's word into you and try to consume more of the truth of God's word. The person is blessed for their obedience who is faithful in their looking and does it with perseverance. And they also remember, the verse says. They remember God. They remember God's promises and they remember God's commands. Throughout Scripture, we are commanded to remember. When the Israelites crossed the Jordan River, they set up stones of remembrance. What for? For the purpose of showing their children what God had done. God again and again commands his people to remember his works and his ways. Under the old covenant, God gave visible signs. He he gave them the fringes of their garments. He told them to, to write his word upon the doorpost of their house. Things to help them remember the Lord their God. And conversely, when the people of God forgot God and his works... They suffered under the judgment of God. All of these things, hearing, looking, persevering, remembering, all of these things should culminate in obedience. Our text calls the man that obeys a doer who acts. He acts upon what he has heard in God's word. Jesus tells us that that obedience is the mark of a faithful and true disciple... He says in John 14, 15, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. 1 John 1, 6, If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Being God's child, a mark of being God's child is obedience to his command. And if we do not see a desire or evidence of obedience in our own life... Obedience to Christ's commands, then we should rightly profession any question, any profession of faith that we have. <clears throat> over and over again in Scripture, we are given instructions on how to live in a way that is pleasing to God. We, we call these imperatives, commands, things that we are called upon in Scripture to do. But they're always given in the context of our redemption by God. And especially for us under the new covenant through Jesus Christ. Remember when before God gave the law at Sinai, he said, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. He's saying, I have redeemed you. You are my people. And here is how I want you to live. 
And this should remind us of the blessing of obedience. It should be a joy to obey God's law because we know the lawgiver and we know that he has redeemed us and called us and made us his people. God has made us and he has made us to worship him and we most accurately reflect his image in us when we seek to reflect his holiness and his goodness by our good works. We are called to be holy as he is holy. Can we perfectly obey that? No. But do we ask God to help us to fulfill what he has commanded? Yes. We should do that every day. Augustine said, grant what you command and command what you will. He recognized God's sovereignty and authority over him. And yet he recognized his utter dependency upon God for the strength to be obedient to the commands of God. It's true that some of God's commands are easier to obey than others. It's true that we have besetting sins, but yet God calls us to obedience. And we are promised grace to do that. And that's why we must continue to repent as we do week by week in our worship. And I trust that we seek to do that daily on our own. Because we continually fail and, or even our obedience is imperfect. We need the Holy Spirit to give what He commands. As we close, I want us to consider one phrase that, that might appear rather curious to you. And that is in verse 25 where it says, the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, will be blessed, and, and, and is obedient, will be blessed in his doing. The law of liberty. Now, in America, we typically associate laws with restraint, with the lack of freedom. Yet James calls God's law perfect and a law of liberty. I think what James is helping us to see is that there is liberty in functioning in the way in which we were created. One commentator that I read pointed out that freedom doesn't mean the absence of restraint, but the presence of the right kind of restraint. And he gave the illustration of removing a fish from water. That doesn't give it more freedom, although it takes it away from the con the 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 environment in which it was. But for a fish, it doesn't need the freedom of being upon land. It needs the freedom of being in water where it was created to function and exist. And our freedom is found when we seek to flourish in that context for which we were created. We were created to worship and to know God. And when we come to Christ in repentance and faith, we are given the power to not sin. And as God's children, we should see obedience as a privilege and a delight because we know the lawgiver. We know that he is, he is giving us good things in his command. And in doing so, we are functioning in the context in which he has created us. If we want true life and true freedom, it is found in obeying Christ's commands. But what do we do when we fail? And we will fail. When we fail, we must look to the one who perfectly obeyed God's law. And that, of course, is Jesus Christ. He obeyed God's law for us. So when we fail, we can look to him and rest in his obedience that has been credited to us.
He it is who perfectly obeyed. And He it is who can give us the grace of obedience so that we might find the blessing of obedience. Amen. Let us pray.